The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. I'm delighted to welcome Mikhail Johnson, General Partner at Ox Venture Capital to the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan. Mikhail left Amadeus Venture Partners in 2016 and co-founded Ox to help bridge the gap for European B2B software companies who have great traction but need capital to scale up. Mikhail has completed over 30 equity transactions and currently sits on the board of a potential unicorn, Funnel.io, as well as other exciting European scale-ups like Apica and Think Tank. So, uh, Mikhail, a very warm welcome. Thanks, Gary. Really nice to be with you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yep, lovely having you. So, uh, Mikhail, many new VC funds have launched in Europe over the past few years. Why did you decide to launch Ox? It was uh, driven by, I guess, both external and internal factors. You know, the external factors being that we were seeing across Europe, predominantly in the geographies where we're mostly active in the Nordics in the UK, but honestly in other parts of Europe as well, that venture capital was gravitating increasingly towards consumery internet business models. And there was a lot of B2B software companies that were sort of left behind by the general VC community. So I think that was an observation that we saw where there was a lot of capital invested at the very early stages, even in B2B, and there's a lot of capital available in the very late stages. But there is a big chasm, if you like, or a sort of stage in between there where there is an undersupply of capital. And we saw that opportunity and we went after it. I guess the more inside-out perspective on that is that that is where we have invested, both me and Richard, who I co-founded the firm with, over our careers and where we've had some decent successes as well. So it was a culmination of seeing an opportunity and something we think we're decent at. So that's why we went after that. What differentiates your investment thesis from other VCs? I think first and foremost, we are very niche in terms of what we do. We do one thing and we do one thing only, and we only want to do that thing. We don't want to do anything else. So we only invest in B2B SaaS. We only invest in B2B SaaS in the Nordics and the UK and other parts of Europe selectively. We only invest in these companies at a very specific stage of their development, which is what we refer to as the scale-up stage. So that's companies that have product market fit that are you know, seeing emerging business model market fit in the way that you can start to see some leading indicators of these companies being able to scale. That is a stage where a lot of people shy away because they do not yet see, if you're a growth stage investor, you do not yet see the clear, stabilized metrics that those people will be looking for. And if you're a very early stage investor, it may be too late because these companies have they have some traction and they have some expectations on how they will be valued and doesn't necessarily fit with an early stage investor. Same ways, many of these companies have not hit the road running out of the gates. So they may not have shown that triple, triple, double, double nature that most early stage investors are looking for. It may have taken them a while to get to that stage where we think they're exciting and ready for breakout. 
And what have you seen in your two decades of investing in tech that has formed the basis of your approach to investing? I think first and foremost, it's, uh, you know, being in venture, we all understand that we're taking massive risks. We are making calculated bets on things. And some of those work out, some of them don't work out. And I think what we've seen is a lot of the companies that get people very, very excited at the earlier stages, some of them obviously make it through and become iconic. There's a lot of those companies in Europe these days, the likes of Spotify. But obviously, there's a lot of companies who never you know, make it through that threshold of whether that's 50 people or 100 people or 200 people, and they sort of peter out over time. And what we've come to realize is that there's a lot of companies who have a different growth path. Not all companies are created equal. It is equally viable to create a company that has a not triple, triple, double, double initial growth stage while you can still become a very large successful company even if you take a couple of years to find your place in the market in the initial stages. I think that's, that's one thing that we see very clearly. And these companies typically get overlooked by many people in the international VC community. I think the other thing we have come to realize, which is very tightly related to where we specialize, is we will invest in companies that obviously are growing quickly, that have a big opportunity, that have a unique positioning and product there. And they're obviously very keen to grow as quickly as possible and deploy the capital that we're investing. But many times we will actually try to hold back a little bit and not just throw more fuel to the fire, actually making sure that you've fixed some foundational gaps to build a true platform for scalability. And I think that's where a lot of companies fail. They never take the time to sort of take a breather and address some of the things they may have overlooked as they were growing very quickly. And that creates a really big debt that is very hard to address the bigger you become, the tougher it gets to fix those things. So that's something that we are big advocates of doing these foundational gap fixes, if you like, before you start to push the throttle aggressively. Does that approach to investing constrain your choice of co-investors? VCs will typically invest alongside one or two or maybe even three or four other investors. And I imagine the number of, uh, or the choice of investment partners prepared to bet on the same type of companies at the same stage and having the same stance on growth must be a little bit limited. Typically, the companies we invest in have a fairly moderate amount of capital raised before we invest. So they will have either bootstrapped themselves to that point in time where you know we will invest, or they will have raised smaller amounts of money from people locally, some super angels, some local funds, entrepreneurs, friends and family and the likes. There's not a lot of them that have raised you know, massive amounts of capital from the traditional VC crowd. There are those instances, and those companies will have a slightly different growth trajectory and probably grow more aggressively and have more of these foundational things fixed already, if you like, when we invest. But if we find something that we're excited about, great product, great market, great team, they've taken a couple of years to get to that point. They haven't raised tons of capital. 
most of the traditional VC crowd that I think you're thinking about now wouldn't be too interested in that because it's sort of beyond them at that point in time. Exactly. So do you end up being the sole investor typically when you invest or do you still try and entice co-investors to go in with you? I think we have done both. We have a strategy where we very much are open to syndicating and like to syndicate. I think it all depends on finding the right partner where you can agree a path together with the entrepreneurs and the team that's running the business and you can find alignment around that. But if we can do that, we will definitely syndicate. I think, again, when it comes to syndicating at the expansion and growth stages, the syndication may be less about sharing risk as it is in the early stages. And it might be more about trying to add additional value that we cannot contribute to those companies. And what we find is a lot of times we will bring on US-based co-investors, for instance, to help companies navigate more intimately in the US market. Now, you're the chairman at Funnel, and you've been engaged with them since pretty soon after they launched. They recently raised 50 million US dollars, and they're one of the fastest growing companies in Europe. They seem pretty much on a trajectory to being a unicorn. Why is Funnel such a standout success? <laughs> if I had a complete answer to that and the recipe for that, obviously I'd only do investments like Funnel, but there's obviously a combination of design and you know things that you can deduct as the, you know, the drivers of that success. And there's obviously a lot of timing and a fair amount of luck in that as well. But if we stay with what's so good about that company, I mean, it starts, it really starts, and this is not shocking to anyone, it starts with an incredible team. It is a team of people who are very smart, very passionate, very dedicated to doing what they're doing. And they're hell-bent on solving a very, very large and very high-priority problem that I don't think necessarily a lot of people saw when they started to attack it. But by being very close to their customers and in a particular market, which is the marketing technology market... They saw a problem, which I think a lot of people have overlooked, and they've just gone after that and they've executed with a very strong vision. So it's very much related to that. And I think, honestly, being hell-bent on solving that problem rather than selling the largest story to investors is one of the key successes they've had. They could have sold a much bigger vision earlier on to investors. They didn't do that because they were sticking to what they knew and what customers were looking for. There was always a vision that this could be something bigger that extends outside of the marketing technology stack and marketing data. But it's only now that they've started to communicate that. So I think focus, a strong team and focus on solving a very clear business problem. Focus being a recurring theme in this conversation then, focus for your fund, focus for funnel and of course a great team as well tell me about the one that got away the one company you had an opportunity to invest in but you passed on that opportunity and you've perhaps regretted it ever since there are different ways of passing on things and there are you know i have had companies that i've really liked where i have put in offers 
and I've been turned down by my investment committee. <laughs> and we're not allowed to uh, compete with those businesses. That does not mean we would have won the deal in the end. But you know, what one that comes particularly to mind there is uh, ClickTech, which obviously became a really big company in the business intelligence market throughout the, the early 2000s. It was a deal that was eventually done by Axel and um, JVP. So we were looking at that at an earlier stage, and I had a term sheet in, but eventually my investment committee turned that down. That's one that would have been an incredible investment had we done it. <laughs> so that's obviously a little bit of regret. I think in terms of declining or saying no to things, there's obviously a few, I think... There's a really interesting company here in Sweden right now that's growing like wildfire with an incredible business model. It's called Mentimeter. That is one where we had an opportunity to do a transaction maybe 24 months ago, which we thought it looked a little expensive at the time. Had we done that, <laughs> we would have been looking at that very differently right now. It's an amazing company, amazing entrepreneur, and something which we would have loved to be involved with. We haven't given up on that yet, obviously. So, Johnny, if you hear this, you know we're coming. (laughs) (laughs) And what books or blogs do you read for inspiration? Good question. I think there's a lot of things with my, if you look at the library of books that I have read and that I apply to the business side that we're in, which are actually quite old. (laughs) but I still think they ring very true. My all-time favorite business book is probably Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore, which, again, no surprise, speaks about the importance of being focused as you're trying to scale, because that is very much the essence of what he's trying to communicate there, that if you're trying to sell a new and innovative product to a new market that doesn't know who you are and hasn't necessarily seen your product yet, you have to be incredibly focused to solving a very, very specific problem for a very, very specific customer base. Once you've done that, you can then expand into what Jeffrey Moore refers to as the bowling alley, where you're taking down the pins one at a time, right? That is a business book that I really, really think is incredibly applicable, even though it was written probably 20, 30 years ago. Another one that we apply on a daily basis in our business is a book called The Advantage by Patrick Lenzioni. I think he's mostly known for a book that he wrote that was called The Like The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. His thesis is very culture-driven and talks about how do you establish in quite a pragmatic way, not necessarily a very esoteric or like almost like religious way, but like very pragmatic way. How do you work to establish a very strong corporate culture? And why is that so important as you're trying to build the business? That is something we have used. A lot of the tips and tricks from that book is something we use in the companies where we engage. With regards to more general investing, I'm quite enthusiastic about behavioral economics and how that impacts our investment decisions. So, you know, how flawed most decisions we make really are. That is something that fascinates me a lot. So obviously, you know, reading things by Daniel Kahneman, thinking fast and slow, if you want to have something which is maybe a little more easily digested on that same pattern, there's a guy called Michael Mabuzan, 
who writes a lot of interesting things around that, and particularly a book which I think is fascinating for people engaged in startup culture and venture is a book called Untangling Skills from Success. The Success Equation is the title of the book. And he deals with how do you statistically untangle skill from luck in a occupation where luck is very big contributor to your success. That is a really interesting read. I think a lot of people would do well to read and internalize. Let's talk about some investors that you've come across that you particularly admire, who either as a fund or as an individual inspires you, who gets your biggest praise? If you think about what we're trying to build with Ox, we're trying to be a very clear alternative. We're not for everyone, right? But for the people who we're for, we are aspiring to be the very best, obviously. I think the position we're trying to build, which is not being very early stage nor very late stage, but rather focusing on this scale-up stage, is something that originally was addressed by the likes of Summit and TA when they emerged in sort of the, the 90s. I mean, they're obviously very, very different animals today, and they built some incredibly successful institutions. But I think those firms... When they started out, that is what we're aspiring to be. We want to be the partner for B2B software entrepreneurs at the scale-up stage. That's a good way of thinking about what we're looking to do. With regards to firms today that I admire the most, there's a very long list. If there's one firm I would love to be, it's probably a firm called Emergence Capital, which is not necessarily as widely known by a lot of people here in Europe, but... If you look at investing in the B2B SaaS space, they're second to none. Their slogan is first in the enterprise, and they really have been first in the enterprise with some amazing companies. I think their first investment they were very well known for was Salesforce, and they've just been involved in a number of these very, very large SaaS companies that we all use on a daily basis today, like Zoom and things like that. Actually, I had Doug and Viviana from... Emergence Capital on a very interesting podcast with me uh, last year. So there's a link back there. If I think about their brand value, their market position in the US, if we could build anything that resembles that here in Europe, I would be very happy. And what advice, Mikhail, do you have for a B2B software founder, an entrepreneur looking for scale-up? capital, how can they get on your radar screen and how can they impress and entice an investor like Ox? I think what happens at the earlier stages, it's all about conviction about the team, the product and the market, right? So that's, everybody understands that. What I think gets confused as you get to the scale-up stages, there's a lot of companies that get some traction And they may actually have some reasonably impressive traction if you stick to financial numbers and metrics. And we see a lot of those companies. But to be very honest, if there isn't a very, very interesting product value proposition, which is unique and which is distinct and addresses a very large market opportunity, we will not be interested. So I would suggest that making sure that you understand or at least not forget what is your unique proposition why is this such a high priority and you know why would you be able to build a global business that wins in this market 
if there's any complaint I will have, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that we see who sort of forget that because they, I've hustled my way here. I've gotten to this place. We're doing great. We just want to continue doing that. For us, unfortunately, that is not enough. We have to be excited by the product, by the vision, and convinced that this is unique and distinct and sustainable. Do you sometimes come across companies that seem to be perfectly happy being strong players in Sweden or in the Nordics and haven't really got a vision beyond that? That happens to us a lot, whether that's, you know, Sweden, the Nordics, the UK or Europe or... And honestly, that's perfectly okay if that's the game you want to play. But we are not an investor for those types of companies. There are plenty of investors who are happy to invest in, you know, regional leaders, local leaders with less risk reward. We're not one of those people. Even if we invest at the slightly later stages, we still want to ensure that we invest in companies that have true breakout potential. It is still a venture risk reward return that we're looking for. It's the big bets you're looking for. That's great. Mikhail, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your candid insights on today's episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan. Thanks, Gary. My pleasure. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.